0: Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for uh, making all things new in your Son and by your Spirit, and that you, Lord, have given us your Spirit to lead us into the truth that you have revealed through your Son, that we have forgiveness through him and redemption, and we look forward to the day when that will be complete in the new heavens and new earth. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to this Lesson on the Holy Spirit in the church that we would truly understand more about what it means to be a part of your people. And it's in your Son's name we ask. Amen. So this week we begin the third main section of the Apostles' Creed, the third section that follows after all of Christ's work that he's accomplished for us. And we, we go to this section in. That that begins with the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. Um, So what does it mean, first, to believe in the Holy Spirit? Uh, We'll look at what it means for the Holy Spirit to be God, and then what his work is specifically that's being portrayed. And then the second thing we'll look at today is the church and how it relates to God's kingdom. Just kind of giving a bigger framework for how the church should be viewed in the world, and then how that specifically relates to the third point of what it means to be one holy Catholic and to have this understanding of the communion of saints. So first, uh, the Holy Spirit's person and work. Uh, When Jesus was talking to his disciples, he tells them, I will ask the Father and he will give another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. In John 14. Um, So this third paragraph really comes after the ascension for a really good reason. Because this this is the preeminent gift that God is giving after Christ's work, after he ascends into heaven. He is giving us himself not only... On the work of the cross for us but now he's going to be god within us in the holy spirit and we see that 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 is the very much the structure of the entire apostles creed from the father's creating work the rescue work of the son it turns now to the recreating completion and the work of the holy spirit where we're actually made new in and through christ so we're going to be hearing of this new community the new creation in the church, this new relationship next week and the forgiveness of sins, the new existence that we have, the resurrection of the body, and the fulfillment of all those things with the life everlasting. So first, we come to this profession of the faith in what the Holy Spirit, what we believe about the Holy Spirit himself. Um, So first we see all these different passages where we hear the Spirit being called the Spirit of Christ. Uh, he, is, he is divine. He is holy. He is an active person who in many ways is executing and fulfilling everything that the Father says and done, does through His Son. Um, but there's a lot of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit, a lot of vagueness about who He is and what He's actually doing some really associate the Holy Spirit just with these like mystical states or ecstatic kind of experiences or even like being held by a muse and having an artistic inspiration um, and you can hear that in Christian writings and pagan writings whoever it is uh, others you know I say I link the Holy Spirit to these Christian experiences of having a high um, to kind of use. Kind of common term whether people are thinking of it in like these ecstasies or coming being overcome with some other force where where people are seeking visions and revelations and speaking in tongues and healing um, a lot of these things really are confusions about who the Holy Spirit is as primarily putting a spotlight on the father and the son that he is not just this energy or force or this glue that holds everything together, but he is a, He is one of the divine persons in the Trinity who's giving us all that the Son has done and bringing us into the fellowship of the Holy God. And those miraculous things that we see throughout the Bible are really just secondary things that are pointing to what God is re- doing in redemption. Those things are just spotlights that we shouldn't get caught up in. Um, if they happen, that's wonderful, that's great, and we, sh- we shouldn't necessarily say they can't happen, but ordinarily what we're, we should be looking for is how the Holy Spirit is bringing us to Christ. Um, but first, like in the Old Testament, we see there's all these mentions of the Spirit in, in connection with creation, in connection to hovering over the waters and forming the dry land. Um, also in going before God's people in the Exodus and being seen in the presence of a Shekinah glory, that God's unique presence was there in the Holy of Holies. We also see him inspiring, you know, the prophets of the Old Testament and all these spokespersons, um, where God is speaking by the prophets and he's equipping and enabling kings and priests in these great acts of valor or war, whatever it is, God is coming upon a lot of these Old Testament saints and doing these really miraculous things. And he's also evoking godliness in individuals. Um, But all these things really gain a deeper meaning in the New Testament where we really see the Spirit as a personal agent who is distinct from the Father and the Son. The New Testament really brings that to clarity, and the early church saw that, that they're praying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're baptizing in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. and But he's this distinct agent who comes upon Jesus in his baptism and filling him with the power of God and His presence, and and then we see even something even more that that when Christ ascends into heaven, He's given the Spirit without measure, and He pours Him upon God's people, and He's sending this another Comforter, He's sending this other Helper, an Advocate, as a down payment and an assurance of eternal salvation of eternal things. Um, and so we see that his his work and his person is very much what we could say that, what, what theologians have called the shy member of the Trinity. That he's constantly showcasing and making known what the, what the Father is doing through the Son, and he's bringing that to completion. Um, <clears throat> So we see that first when the son comes into his earthly ministry in his life when the creed also says that that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and then the Spirit's dove like descent upon him in his baptism shows that Jesus was not only the Spirit giver but he was also himself completely Spirit filled and everything that he was doing was done through the work of the Holy Spirit as a human sacrifice. The author of the Hebrews says that his 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 very sacrifice was offered up in the eternal spirit. And hopefully that what that, that means we'll kind of unpack in a minute. I know that's a lot. Um, but we also see that now that Jesus sends this other helper, this supporter, advocate, encourager, and his whole ground campaign and how he's conquering the world that we talked about last week is just put a spotlight on the gospel to in many ways unite us to Christ by faith and in indwelling us and changing us into his into the the image of the second Adam, the image of God's own Son. Um we read in John 16, 14, that the Spirit will glorify not himself, but me, Jesus is speaking, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus' words are really talking about what, how we can know this Spirit from all other spirits, this Spirit from anything else that the world seems to be offering, uh, it, it's wonderful when the Holy Spirit is doing all these miraculous, wonderful things, but if he's not putting a spotlight on Jesus, then we really need to be suspect um, that, as we, as we said in the beginning of this class several weeks ago, everything that God does is Trinitarian. It's from the Father, through the Son, and by the power of the Spirit. So there's no sense where we can have a robust understanding of the Holy Spirit if we try to separate the eternal Word of God from the Spirit. You can't look for the Holy Spirit apart from this eternal Son of God who's with the Father from the beginning, and the Holy Spirit was with them from all eternity. It's a package deal. Um, If there's anything that ever happens that's causing those two things to kind of have any kind of tension or disparity in your mind, you can know that 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 is not the Holy Spirit that's operating. Um, The Holy Spirit is the one who's coming to our conscience, and he's allowing us to hear the gospel with the ear of faith, and he's throwing a a spotlight over our shoulder onto Christ and everything that he has accomplished. And causing us to go and 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 really deal with Jesus. So that is that's very much we see that the Holy Spirit is the one who's, he's very much God, and he's bringing us to God Himself, and he's very much attached to the work of the Son, and he has this specific work as a witness, and he's he's our teacher. So the New Testament really exists as the work of the Holy Spirit to bring to light everything that Christ said and did. That the Spirit comes and testifies supernaturally first through the apostles who are then carried along to to give us the New Testament and then the Holy Spirit's continual work is to teach us and witness to those very words. And that's the movement that we actually even see in the Bible, is that the Holy Spirit comes and he assures believers that they are heirs with Christ, and then he moves us to bear witness to who Christ is, and leading others to that same source, leading everyone else to that same written word of God. So when we think about the Holy Spirit and what he's doing, what he's being for us, we shouldn't think of private revelation. We shouldn't think of something that's this undisclosed thing that just happens between you and Jesus and God and this warm feeling that you kind of get. But we should always think of it as revealing, first, through inspiration and inspiring God's public testimony of his word, And then through the next word, illumination, illuminating us to understand it. So if we confuse those two things, we will have lots of heartache. If we start thinking that we are inspired, if we start thinking that our thoughts are inspired, that we're getting private revelations that in any way contradict God's word, we are going to seriously go into error and lead people astray. So those are two important words. Inspiration and illumination. Those two things very much come from Scripture itself, where we see Paul making that distinction in 1 Timothy, where he's specifically saying that God's Word is what's inspired, that's expired, it's breathed out by the Holy Spirit. But then we have our hearts enlightened by those very words, as he says in Ephesians 1.18. The Spirit then, on top of all that, gives all these different gifts to the church for ministry, um, where in many ways, every single Christian is better off than any Old Testament saint. Because Christ has conquered us and brought us into his kingdom through his work and the ascension has happened, and this hole has been teared into this present evil age, the Holy Spirit no longer has to do all these miraculous things to land on planet Earth. He's already purchased us. God has already purchased us, and he's starting to work through very ordinary people. He doesn't need to do all these miraculous things. In fact, the more miraculous thing is that every one of us is a prophet, priest, and king before God that every one of us is, through our ordinary vocations and callings, able to speak the gospel into the world, able to actually bring grace to our hearers and buy back the time because the days are evil, that those ordinary things are actually really powerful that we often miss because we're looking for God in those extraordinary things. Um, We're looking for private revelations. We're looking for all these ecstatic experiences. And we're missing what God is actually doing in our midst. That the Spirit is actually doing something far greater than he did ever in the Old Testament by making everyone prophets, priests, and kings, which is what Moses himself declared that he wanted. You know, in, in the Old Testament, all these people started breaking out and prophesying, and Moses' friends are starting to get angry and jealous for Moses. And Moses is like, I would that every single person would be a prophet. And that itself was a prophecy because what we see with the ascension and then this great movement called Pentecost, the Spirit is being poured out on the church. And it's, it starts with this miraculous thing, but that everyone is being baptized in the Spirit and given the Spirit just like Christ. Does that make sense so far? Any questions or thoughts? So, right, so, okay. It's not on so in the Old Testament, not everyone gets the Holy Spirit the same way. Right. In salvation they would. So, everyone would receive forgiveness of sins that had faith, everyone that looked ahead of the promise. But what's clear is that in the New Testament, the Spirit of Promise is very much something that only comes with Pentecost and with the ascension of Christ. And that what, was com- what would come with all these miraculous signs and gifts in terms of people's offices, like King Saul had the office of king that could come and go and the spirit would be taken from him. Right. David just happened to be someone who the spirit remained with and was in some sense remained in his faith. But those offices and those extraordinary works could come and go. And we don't see the Holy Spirit coming in the same measure of indwelling and the same power that we have in the New Testament, where we are made all active agents of grace because we are united to Christ. We are all seated with him in a new way that never happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. and the Spirit is starting to bestow all these gifts, as we'll talk about in a minute, through the institutional church, but for the purpose of every single person being gifted with something unique that that they're doing to edify and build up the kingdom. And that wasn't necessarily the case in the Old Testament. Um, so, the Spirit can be seen as a Christ-glorifying person of the Trinity, he's self-effacing, he's that shy member who is constantly putting a spotlight on Christ's work, and that should help us as we kind of think about today, about the charismatic gifts, as about, about whether, you know, miracles are actually happening. It's not to say that those things can't happen, but those things are constantly being portrayed as extraordinary that they, did, they didn't happen all the time in the New Testament or even the Old Testament, but at these great moments of God's redemptive action that are spotlighting that. And we should be looking for Christ and His Spirit to be active in these other ways, through His Word, illuminating His Word, and then through the Spirit gifts that we've been given. Um, and that so the Spirit is this one who's bringing to completion. He's applying the work of redemption to us and he's causing that new creation to come out like he did the old creation, having the waters of chaos descend and the land coming forth. The Spirit is doing that same exact work where the Father speaks the word of the Son's grace to us and out of nothing that we have brought to the table, the Spirit is bringing new life to us and leading us each day. So when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we should first think of this, you know, that personal fellowship that we have with the living Christ who has ascended into heaven. And there were also, in some sense, we have to realize that we're also being led by the Spirit to who now indwells us into that Christian knowledge, into the knowledge of the gospel, into knowing Christ, that it's a very intimate, personal thing of discipleship that he's leading us in that obedience and service. And so we can expect that as Christians in the New Testament to be led by that every single day in in a very profound way so that everything that we're doing is by his power. Everything that we're doing and praying is in his jurisdiction. And we're not doing this of our own accord. We're not doing this of our own power but that we are now, because we are now heirs with Christ, assured of that with the down payment of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we are given a power and a a real agency of grace in our very lives. So that uh, brings us to our second thing that we'll talk about in terms of the church and, and God's kingdom. So briefly, I just wanted to like highlight this, that the, to connect it much more to what we talked about last week in the ascension, and how all of this is really changing. Uh, what is what is so actually different with the New Testament? Um, so a lot of people, you know, when they first come to Christ, life can be, you know, really confusing. Uh, we we don't know what we're called to be and to do, and I think that we're waiting for this grand kingdom to come about, this grand movement of God, and we're just kind of left with the church. And we're like, okay, um, Jesus came preaching this amazing kingdom, and what arrived was the church. You know, some people have that, that phrase, that saying. And I think that gets at a lot of the dilemma that we often feel, that everything is supposed to change now that we know Jesus. We often have those you know, mountaintop experiences when we first become Christians, or even different points in our lives where we feel God's presence and his grace. Um, But what does really the church have to do with Christ's rule and his kingdom? Well, I want to say that that there are two things we have to think about, that the church is a people and the church is also a place, that we, all, we often hear this idea that the church is not a building, and that's true. You know, we're not the, the church is not a physical building, but that isn't that kind of moves the discussion too quickly away from how the church has a real institutional feel to it, and the kingdom of God is what Christ really did preach, and he ushered that in. But the present form that it takes is the church, and it comes in those two ways of a people and and a place. So it's a place and a people where the kingdom of heaven is now seen. It's a place where certain things happen, but it's also a people who do certain things, as outlined, as we heard about a couple weeks ago from Matt in Acts 2. And the... Great commission is very much tied to Christ's kingdom, and it's inseparable from this church, from what is happening here, where Jesus says, He came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think of the ascension. He's ascending on high to all of the seat of authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Behold... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we see that with the sending of the Holy Spirit. So the church is a place where the people are gathered first to receive God's divine gifts. It's not primarily a place where we're going to go do something for God. The church as an institution, as that place, is a place where we're being formed by the Holy Spirit before we can be scattered into the world during the week. And that's like a huge thing that I think that we don't get as American Christians. We're so busy doing things for God on Sunday, getting burned out, not realizing that we're primarily going as receivers before we can actually be made into doers, before we can actually be made into someone that's going to actually help our neighbor. Does that make sense? So we're going to unpack that a little bit before we go on, because I think that's just crucial to understanding anything that means to be one holy Catholic and apostolic and have that communion of saints. So the church, after it gets gathered it then will go out into neighborhoods and communities and serve various people and various callings. And that's very much a part of our mission. I don't want to undermine that. But first these callings, where whether it's serving the poor, changing our children's diapers, or even just sharing the gospel at work or with our neighbors, these callings cannot be done without first the gospel ministry and the God's gift-giving through the Great Commission that's happening on Sunday. And while we can make that distinction between the church as a place and a church as people, the two callings really can't be separated. We, we have to hold those things really together. We can distinguish them, but we shouldn't separate them. When you start doing that, you just create all kinds of havoc in, in the lives of believers and have a totally deformed church that thinks it's all about word and sacrament, word and sacrament, and that's it. Or all it's about is doing and doing and doing. And you have all these, like, burned-out Christians who then just, like, leave the faith. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of—when when those things are separated or deformed— It causes all kinds of trouble. Um, So the church is God's kingdom and mission into the world through all our multifaceted callings. But as an institution, as a place, when we first gather up on Sunday, that is the new center of gravity because that is the place where God's gifts of salvation are coming down to us from Jesus. I don't have time to go through it, but an entire uh, march of the book of Ephesians is leading up to Ephesians 4, where where Jesus is ascended on high and he's giving good gifts to men. The whole language is his ascension. It's picking up these ascension um, themes where he's then able to give the spirit to us without measure. And the first thing he gives is prophets and apostles and teachers and his word and then it comes to how we then live out in the world through Ephesians 5 and 6 so the whole thing has to have that says that same kind of flow because as an institution this is where we get our marching orders it's where we where god teaches us how to employ our lives and bring his goodness and truth to those in need in body and in soul so the whole vision that Paul has, the author of the Hebrews has, the New Testament, is that the church is the new temple of God, that we have that Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and we're being built up first by the Word of Christ and His Spirit. And that has to happen through what we call the keys of the kingdom, the things that are unlocking and tearing open a whole in this present evil age up to Jesus. That those are the things that first are spreading the light of Christ everywhere where we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. As the author of the Hebrews says, he's not saying we're building a kingdom. He's not saying any of those things. We're first and foremost receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this is first and foremost why we have to come together as as, as a church as primarily receivers, where we're gathering around the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and the prayers, and Christ is meeting us where faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And we're gathering with Mount Zion, the heavenly Mount Zion that we talked about last week, with this innumerable gathering of angels and and saints from all generations around the feet of Christ and receiving everything that he's done giving us assurance again and again that he's born our shame, that we don't have to have that as our identity, that he's born our guilt, that we have this new relationship in the world. We have been given the spirit and we no longer are bound by karma. We're no longer bound by fate, but we are made active agents in the world. So we have to constantly hear that over and over again, be gathered together before we're scattered be formed and shaped in the image of Christ before we serve others. And the Holy Spirit's work is then seen where that's happening, illuminating the work of Christ, where the gospel is preached, where true discipleship or discipline is happening, and where this new age of sacrificial love is starting to happen. We talked about last week, that's the whole new thing is that we're now participating in in the work of Christ through that sacrificial love. After receiving that gospel through preaching and liturgy and worship, um, the word of God's kingdom is then going to be scattered like a field in the world that begins to bear fruit even now through the church's mission. So God is, is really working if you want to look about the new creation, if we think about his kingdom, what's really going on with the ascension is that he's working in and through his church, first gathering them together around these specific things that we do in the liturgy and in worship, and then he's making us into a people by doing that. That we are that new creation being formed and shaped to then go into the world to bring his grace, light, and truth. So, Even though the ascended Christ is not, you know, he's not physically present with us, he sends his spirit at Pentecost and he starts restoring communion with us, as we talked about in the first section. He's restoring communion with creator and creature, but he's also really bringing communion between men and women of different social classes, ethnicities, and backgrounds. And that's the fruit of what the Holy Spirit is doing and how Christ is conquering this world. It's not just up to... It's not just... um, The kingdom is no longer just seen with Israel, but it's being seen, being scattered abroad through all these different races and classes and people. And that's God's glory and Jesus bringing about his kingdom. And so the church, in many ways, is is the field where God is reforming us into his image and he's giving us that new identity. He's giving us that new family and he's binding us together in a faithfulness and love that doesn't even make, that doesn't make sense in our world. It didn't make sense in the ancient world and it still doesn't make sense now. That's for sure. Like if you go against anyone who's for a social justice issue and You can't have any forgiveness. There's no forgiveness that's allowed in the liberal side of things or even the conservative side of things. Um, The church is still this unique place where sinners can actually be sinners and come together and be bound together and given this special gift of forgiveness and reconciliation and love, that new thing that the Holy Spirit is bringing about in and through us and in our midst. As Paul says, then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, Ephesians 2. So this people and place could only become this way because the blood of Christ has brought us near to God and brought us into the heavens. And now we are called to bring that love of Christ that the Spirit has shed abroad in our hearts, as Paul says in Romans, to those around us, as God's people. So you have to have that movement. It has to happen in this way. We have Christ I can write. sending his spirit through the keys of the kingdom. You think word, sacrament, and that's the new epicenter and that is the new center of gravity for the church where he is forming us and shaping us. But then, like a waterfall, it continues to go out in concentric circles out into the world. And we constantly have to be resalinated as salty people because we bring out the saltiness, we lose our saltiness, we have to go back in and receive again. We have to take that light, we bring it out, and we have to come back in. We have to ourselves be converted again and again to the gospel to bring that gospel out. That's the character, that's the thing that you see walking in step with the Spirit looks like. Coming at the feet of Jesus and learning of Him so that we can bring that out to others. Um, The church is this epicenter, the kingdom of heaven, is being opened with the gates of heaven being open that Christ sent His Spirit through. And the Spirit of the highest heavens that we talked about, He's breaking out and He's spilling out into the world. And so this is where we're made into the church and then scattered in during the week. So we first have to be gathered together, continually knit to our living head, to Jesus Christ, by the Spirit before we can be scattered as salt and light spreading his love and goodness in this present evil age. And that's the kind of thing that actually, this is the new temple that's going that's going on, where Paul himself even uses that to describe in Ephesians 5 and 6, that we're bringing the light to the outer darkness. The light to the outer darkness that was far beyond Israel and the te- Old Testament temple. We're going in and exposing those things that people don't even want to talk about. And... Just by being that forgiving, loving presence in the world, we're spreading about God's kingdom. But the epicenter is here. Um, We constantly have to keep those things in balance. Otherwise, we'll burn out and lose our saltiness. Or we'll just be a holy huddle and we won't be concerned with the world and lose our mission. And either way, that's not faithful. Even if you have the truth, even if you have the gospel, those things aren't what faithfulness look like. Um, Does that make sense so far, that making those distinctions about the church as a people and a place? And, okay, cool. Um, So, the Spirit is giving the church primarily those things through what we say is the, the church's first, the church's constitution. Um, the New Testament and the Bible is this one of the preeminent gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the preeminent things the Holy Spirit is doing and giving us the very word of God, this public testimony of what God and Christ is doing in this world. And it's the constitution, just like modern states have laws and constitutions, God is giving his people, this church, this new constitution that governs everything that we say and do, Um, the Bible, through the extraordinary ministry of prophets and apostles that we talked about, and even in Jesus' day, the Spirit delivers with inspiration the actual book, this public testimony, the thing that we're gathering around And this unique word of God constitutes and creates this new covenant community as a colony of heaven, as a new city and an outpost of heaven, that this is our marching orders, this is our constitution. And we gather around it with the one mediator, Jesus, I can speak, who has broken down all the boundaries of the Old Testament and he's reformulating them around himself. So, We are the church, we are who we are because we have the word of God and we're having one mediator, Jesus. We no longer make ourselves holy through ceremonies or being descended from certain family lines. No, we're made holy by the blood of Christ who washes us through the preaching of his word and baptism by the power of the Spirit. And now there's a new thing that's going on through the ordinary ministry of pastors and elders and deacons today and the institution the spirit is guiding the church into the truth of his word which is illumination getting back to those two things inspiration and now he's doing the work of illumination and the spirit shapes us in this new kingdom that's happening of peace like that's the preeminent preeminent fruit is that sacrificial love and peace. So you know that these things are working, these things are doing good, a good job, not just because they're being proclaimed, but if they're really taking root in people's lives and causing reconciliation. I mean, Paul warns about a form of godliness but denying its power. The Old Testament is full of things where God hates The worship of Old Testament Israel where they're doing everything by the book but their hearts are far from him. So there's that constant dynamic that we constantly have to be checking and making sure that we're actually truly understanding the word that's being proclaimed. Um, That this constitution governs not only our beliefs but our practices, our doctrine and our life, our discipline and discipleship and so we see god giving the church elders and ministers and deacons for that very reason it's not so that they can just we can just stay in our holy huddle all day but so we can all be built up and have oversight over our souls so that we can learn to serve and follow in the path of christ they're given these special roles, not because they're unique, but because they're actually living the Christian life. They're living, they're not like superhuman, super Christians, but they are really living the Christian life and showing the way of having one mediator between God and man, having the Spirit, what it means to be walking in the Spirit, how to live this way where we're being fed by Christ and then bringing out that light to all all the lives, whether that's our family and then our vocations, and in the public square, whatever it is. And God gives pastors and elders this specific task to build up the house, the household of God, through the Holy Spirit for watching over our souls, for our good, because this is a new community. It's not every Christian on their own, but God is making a new community of saints that are a nation, that are a people, a family, that doesn't get rid of all our distinctions, it doesn't erase them, but it's actually bringing us all together and using our unique gifts and talents to create something more beautiful together than we could do by ourselves. By ourselves, we're easy pickings for Satan. By ourselves, we're we're just going to be going off into the road of disaster. But together... God is knitting us all together and giving us things that each person uniquely has and their unique weaknesses, their unique struggles and the things that they've gone through are the strength of the church. Um, we could unpack that forever, but there's, I, had, I had to keep going, but those are the things that the, the elders and ministers and then deacons who are ministering to our bodies, not just our souls, that Christ is showing how he rules us by his spirit. He's ruling us with his constitution. He's ruling us with these ministers, elders, and deacons, showing how much he cares for our bodies and souls, that he knits us all together in this family to walk together, to be sanctified together, to be made holy together, that all the things that Christ has already purchased are now being applied together, and... All those things, all those gifts are gifts of service, like we said. Um, the preeminent sign of the kingdom is that sacrificial love. So, ministers, and elders, and deacons, their preeminent role is to be extra servants. They have no authority in themselves, they have no rule apart from what Christ has said and what his word, his constitution says. They have none of that, but they're actually supposed to be the preeminent servants. They're the ones who are leading the charge and showing everyone how to be like Christ, how to wash people's feet, how to serve tables, to minister to widows and the orphan and the poor and the, and the vulnerable. That's the, that's the justice and the love that God's kingdom is bringing that no one else has and the new creation that's breaking in now. Um, so when elders and ministers go outside of that, They've lost their authority. So, they have no authority in themselves. The only thing that they have authority in is relaying that discipleship, that life of Christ, his doctrine, which is all bound together to the church. And when they do that, we have the obligation to submit. We have the obligation to to listen to them and make it a joy for them. Um, So, that, that is the, the thing that the unity, that is the thing that God is building and creating even today. That was a little longer than I expected, but so we really see that that, that is that's how the church in God's kingdom relate. Any questions or thoughts before I quickly, in 10 minutes, move on to the next one? <laughs> no? Okay. So, whole, what it means to be a holy Catholic church and to have the communion of saints. Um, so one of the big things that we're constantly seeing is that by the strict logic of the creed the the church confesses that the Holy Spirit precedes the church that the church is a creation of the word and spirit it doesn't hold on to, to the spirit and then dispense the spirit to wherever it wants it doesn't have the authority to do that. It's being created, ex nihilo, out of nothing, just like the old creation, and it's coming forth by God's decree. And the only power, the only authority it has is to relay that truth and to live that truth out. And it is the Holy Spirit who actually creates the church, creating faith through the ministry, the and the fellowship that we're talking about. And that's where the personal salvation is ordinarily enjoyed. Yes, there can be Christians outside of the church in this sense. There can be Christians outside of the institutional church. But ordinarily, this is what we should look for in what's happening. Um, The church, unfortunately, has gotten this issue very wrong about what it means to be one holy and Catholic and have communion. And this is where one of the biggest segments of Christianity, the Roman Catholic Church, really departs from us. Um, But why are they divided? What is the basic divergence that's going on? Um, The Roman Catholic Church, in many ways... Is operating from a position that is really sub-trinitarian. That it's not it's not really faithful to even the order of the creed, and the understanding that the church is a creation of God's word and his spirit. But in many ways, it it, it blurs the distinction between inspiration and illumination. It blurs all these different categories that we see in God's Word, where The church is completely identified with the institution, and that's it. The church is completely identified as this one communion with the Pope, whose teaching and ruling authority is on par with God's word when he speaks in his specific vocation. It's holy because it's, in their mind, kept from radical sin. And it's Catholic because it's this worldwide thing in communion with the Pope. And they're apostolic because they have they have a historical genealogy that they, they say goes right back to the apostles. Um, but all, all of these things are producing a whole host of different errors that the Protestants challenge with the scriptures. Um God's Word really says the church is is a one worldwide fellowship because everyone is united to their head, Jesus Christ. That it's being in union with Jesus that we're one and holy. We're not made holy by being a part of the church. We're made holy and set apart because we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places where the Spirit is, where the Holy of Holies is. And that is where our identity is. It's consecrated by God, through God, by His Holy Spirit, set apart by God. God's work coming down by His Spirit creates the church, and that's what makes us holy. It's not the other way around. We're not part of the church and then made holy. Um, We're not made holy by the people in the church. That's like... That that puts the horse before the cart, you know, the cart before the horse. And we're Catholic because it embraces all Christians everywhere and it's not identified with Old Testament Israel anymore. So Catholicity is really bringing bringing out the picture that this is for all nations, tribes, and tongues, that the Great Commission is for the whole world, that it's a Catholicity that binds us together over history and time around... Jesus and his doctrine and his teaching so what defines us as apostolic, what defines us in communion with the communion of saints as a holy catholic church is whether or not we have the apostles teaching as Acts 2.42 points out that is what signifies that we have the holy spirit that is the, that is the new the tools that the spirit is using to show who his church is So it very much flows from the fact that it begins with, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That we are given a gift of holiness, of catholicity, and communion. We're given a gift where God is using these keys of the kingdom to make us into this church by word and sacrament. And then also we have discipline or discipleship. Discipline is not this negative thing, but it's mainly discipleship. Does that make sense so far? So the church receives all of those things as a gift. Um, I guess I need to wrap up pretty quickly. So the church is given God's word as its constitution. It doesn't have any authority. It doesn't have any right to say anything that God's word doesn't declare. And all that it does is saying, this is what God has said. God has said this look to him god has spoken by his son preeminently and and most fulfillingly and finally and and i think that one of the one of the good arguments is like it's because we ultimately believe in the trustworthiness of god and his character that we say we trust in his word if god can't be clear in his word to know what he's actually saying and we need some hierarchy or some pope or some church council to define it. If God is not clear in that, why would we think he's clear in hundreds of more councils, in hundreds of more churches, and 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 edicts that are contradicting themselves that we know contradict themselves. If God isn't clear in his word, we can't be sure that he's clear anywhere else. So ultimately, we say I believe in the Holy Spirit, which means that we believe his word. And that is what binds us all together. That's what brings us all together as the church. Uh, Sharing in the life of God. The church is a supernatural society that God is creating that only is taking those good gifts that God has, that Jesus is giving us, and is giving them out to the world. Our witness is not about ourselves. Our testimony is not of ourselves. It's always of what God's grace in Christ has done for us. And we're just spreading that abroad, recognizing that he alone is the giver, that he alone is the one who has glory. The Holy Spirit himself is not even giving glory to himself. Why would the church? But we're just pointing to Jesus and what he's already done and accomplished. Um, Well, I think with that, I have to close. I have a lot more to say, but I can maybe add a couple things next week and wrap that up. But any thoughts or questions? I know that was a lot. But, well, let's pray then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for studying about this and learning more about what it means to be your church and where your kingdom is advancing by your spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit and what he does for us in leading us into all truth, in indwelling us and assuring us of our salvation as heirs of Christ. And one day fulfilling that with the resurrection of the body. And it's in your son's name we ask these these things. Amen.